Playgoers, I bid you welcome. The theater is a temple, and we are here to worship the gods of comedy and tragedy. Tonight, I am pleased to announce a comedy. We shall employ every device we know in our desire to divert you. Welcome back to Putting Together. This is the podcast where we go through Stephen Sondheim's entire body of work, show by show and song by song. We've been off for a couple of weeks, but we are now here back. Going to be talking about a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Before we get started, one thing I do want to address to everyone out there that's listening. There is a survey that I put out at the end of each of these seasons that we're doing for each of the shows that we're discussing. I just wanted to talk about the results very briefly and mention the things that I am going to ask action starting on this episode. First thing that I'm definitely going to be doing is I'm going to be talking about the plot and letting people in on what is going on with the rest of the show. Yes, the lyrics are important, but for those of you who are listening at home and kind of want to follow along with what is actually going on in this dramatic work, I'm going to let you in and fill you in about what is going on with the plot. Second thing, and it's going to be very humorous to those of you who have already seen the length of this podcast episode, but I am going to be keeping these intros as short and tight as possible. It's a little bit longer in this episode, unfortunately, just because there's a lot of stuff we need to get through to kind of set the stage for the rest of the season. Lastly, people ask for more females to be guests on this podcast. And because I had already started to ask people onto the show already, I've committed to the last half of the season with only having female guests. We also have Karen Unland returning next week as well to lend her guidance and wisdom about Stephen Sondheim. But I want you to know that I think that that is a very important thing that people brought up. I was blinded by the people who were reaching out to me and people that I already knew. And this just shows that there should be other people, other voices that I am bringing into the show because I think everybody's viewpoint is valuable and I want to hear from as many different types of people as possible. And this is going to be that first foray into making sure that that happens. So once again, thank you to all those people who responded to the survey. It makes this show better. This is the first Sondheim show where he wrote the music and lyrics that got produced on Broadway. And for me, it just seems like a weird show. I mentioned this in a few future episodes as well, but but we go from a show that was pushing boundaries on Broadway with West Side Story. We then go with this really fascinating character look with Mama Rose and Gypsy. And then when he's given the reins to do music and lyrics for himself, we get a low comedy based on a Roman playwright. I just find it very odd that this is the show that Sondheim basically came out with. However, before we go any further, I need to tell you that Putting It Together is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. They promote and support Alberta-made podcasts and connect their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. They're also our first sponsor this week, so let me tell you about one of the other shows on the network. So talk about something familiar and something peculiar. The Mess Hall podcast has Avery Cochran talk to comedians and sometimes other people about food. Avery was here just the other day, and he is a great guy. You can tell just by talking with him for a few minutes that food and comedy are great passions of his. I highly recommend checking out his show, The Mess Hall Podcast. Find it and all the great shows at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Also this week, we are sponsored by Park Power. If you're in Alberta, you get to choose where to buy your energy from. If you choose Park Power, your money stays here. Plus, Park Power shares its profits with local not-for-profits that are working to make a difference 
for their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kososky, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. Learn more at parkpower.ca. So a funny thing happened on the way to the forum, which is just a mouthful to say every single time, came three years after Gypsy. And it was a collaboration with book writers Bert Shevlov and Larry Gelbart. We'll have more on them in a future episode. But it's an adaptation from many different plot elements used in the plays of Roman playwright Plautus. It's a lot of peas I just did. Hopefully my plosives are not out of control. If you're a Sondheim fanatic, you'll probably be familiar with the history of Comedy Tonight, the song we're talking about on this episode. It was added very late into the production. There's this great album you can get on most music sites called Sondheim on Sondheim. And this was a production that was staged that celebrated years of Sondheim music, and it includes what could have been with a little explanation from Sondheim himself. Forget war, forget woe, forget matters weighty and great, allow matters weighty to wait for a while. For this moment, this brief time, frown on reason, smile on life. Forget pump, forget show, Forget laurels, helmets, and crowns. Receive lovers, liars, and clowns for a while. For this moment, this brief span, celebrate the state of man. That was the first part of a song called Forget War, which was the original opening of Forum when Jerry Robbins was going to direct it. But Jerry decided not to, and he was replaced with George Abbott. And George Abbott didn't like the song, he couldn't hum it, he said. So out it went. So he did change it to something more hummable. He changed it to this. House and lose your reason, this is the contagious season. Love is going around. La, 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 That song was called Love is in the Air, and George Abbott could hum it. And that's what we opened with in New Haven. And the show was a disaster. And we didn't know what was wrong with it. Book seemed to be funny, but the audience wasn't laughing. Nobody was having a good time. We got down in Washington. The show was still a disaster. We called in Jerry Robbins to help out. He took one look at the show and he said to me, Steve, Love is in the Air is exactly the wrong number. It's a charming number. It misleads the audience. They don't know it's going to be a low comedy show. You've got to write a number that tells them that. I said I wrote a number called Forget War, which told them that. And George Abbott turned it down. I said grumpily. And Jerry said, then you've got to write another number that tells them what it's about that George Abbott will like. And boy, is it a song that is memorable. Now let me introduce you to our newest segment, Plodding Along. Yes, this is where I tell you where we are in the plot of the show. So the overture has just played, a spotlight appears, and a lone actor comes out on stage. This is Prologus. They read the invocation that we heard at the beginning of this podcast, and suddenly the orchestra starts up and launches into comedy tonight. Thanks to our sponsors, take a look at the show notes for information about the music we're referencing and how to get your own book of Sondheim lyrics. We're now going to listen to a selection of the original Broadway cast recording of Comedy Tonight. On the other side is my conversation with Federico Tedeschi, who certainly knows a lot more about Plotus than I do. Something familiar, something peculiar, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Something 
appealing, something appalling, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Nothing. Rodrigo, thank you so much for coming back again. Thank you for having me again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, just in case people have not heard your previous episode, I think we better start off by you describing who you are and what it is that you do. So uh, I am the guy who complained a lot about You'll Never Get Away From Me in the last episode I was in. I am Federico. I am from Italy. I study uh, classic literature, and I just graduated from that. <laughs> no, this is very exciting. Like, only a few days ago from when we're recording this. Yeah, exactly. Two days ago, exactly. That's great. Like, 72 hours ago, I was, like, discussing my my thesis. <laughs> and what was your... Sorry, 48. Oh. I'm so bad at math. <laughs> What was your thesis on? Oh, it's about a poet. I don't know if it's it's quite unknown. It's called Bacchilides. I, a, I can't say that I'm familiar, no. <laughs> it's about a Greek poet called Bacchilides who wrote this beautiful poem about Theseus, you know, the, the hero, the ancient hero. Uh, and uh, that poem had a problem, has a problem, because we don't know when it was written. Mm. And... For you know, lecturers and academics, knowing how sorry when a po- a poem was written is it's important for knowing how to interpret that particular poem. And I try to give my 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 ideas to the academic world, and I hope <laughs> they appreciate it. <laughs> well, I'm sure they will. What's cool about you being on this show and why I wanted you to be the first guest of this new season is that a funny thing happened on the way to the forum is all based on these plays by Plotus. Uh, full name being, I'm going to butcher this, I'm so sorry, Titus Machius Plotus, something like that. Titus Machius yeah. Plotus. With your awful pronunciation because you're English, so it's, it's perfect. Okay, <laughs> great. <laughs> what do you, or what can you tell me about Plotus? Like, how is he situated in in literature and in, in history. Okay, so Plotus is one of the most important uh, writers of the world of theater because basically he brought to the Latin world and then, of course, being uh, the Latin language, the, the root for almost all of the uh, European languages and therefore even somehow, not precisely, but somehow the English language, he brought to Rome what the Greeks were doing with theater back in Greece, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, he basically invented the, the comedic language in the Latin language. And he, he was a poet back in the third to second century before Christ. And after that, uh, you know, he was read a lot, and his his comedies were put on like all the time back in Rome, in ancient Rome, until you know, until the first century after Christ. So, uh, how do you say it after Christ? Yeah, uh, Anno AD. Domini, yeah. AD. AD yeah. Yeah. Until then, when uh, you know they developed a more you know classy uh, taste for mm-hmm. theater, and they. They started writing something else. But, you know, for two centuries, he was like the author of comedies. Right. And it's no surprise that, you know, it's 
been the he's been the inspiration for this beautiful, beautiful comedy show called A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. <laughs> so I, I, I only know a few of the Greek playwrights. I, I took a few different courses when I was in university getting my right. English degree. So I I know Eschylus and I know Sophocles. Those are kind of the two that I think I could name off the yeah, top of my uh, head at but, least. But, you know, uh, those two, uh, they wrote tragedies. Right, right. And uh, they, they, are, they are like from the 5th century before Christ. So it's way, way, way before uh, before yeah plautus and plautus uh, got in, got his inspirations from another greek author called menander mm. menander uh, even though it sounds like a, a dirty word uh, is um, a comedic poet from the 3rd century so he was like a contemporary of plautus he was greek and he brought a completely different kind of theater yeah. to Rome, because the theatre of Menander was completely different from the theatre of two centuries before. Do you know Aristophanes, I guess? Oh, yeah, I would know. yeah of course. You know, yeah. The guy who wrote the, the comedy that inspired another musical by Sonheim, The Frogs. Right. Aristophanes was from the, from the 5th century as well, but Menander was from the 3rd century, and they were two completely different kind of comedies, the ones from, you know, Aristophanes and Menander, and Plautus brought the Menander ones to Rome. Because, oh, I uh, yeah, I'm, am I lecturing? Because I can go on for for hours. <laughs> no, no, it's it's interesting. I guess what I'm I'm most interested in, like, is Plautus basically, I guess, what you would call like a low comedy now, or was he bringing in, I don't know, you like know, what what type of comedy are we talking about? Yeah, I I am a bit biased because yeah. uh, <clears throat> they are there are two big comedy poets back in the uh, Latin rit- literature. They are Plotus, of course, and uh, the second one is called Terence or Terentius. Depends on how you write it. And I much prefer Terence because he's a little bit more educated, I would okay. say. <laughs> and because, you know, he's, he's a fan, I would say, of the Greek culture and he brought the, uh, the ideals of Greek philosophy to to Rome, I would I would say, in his and his comedies are much more intimate and much more human than uh, Plotus. Is. Plotus is much more like uh, like farce, okay, know, like slapstick comedy and a bit vulgar, but still uh, very appreciated because you know uh, uh, the Romans weren't so uh, posh. <laughs> as the Greeks, so they liked it. They liked it, uh, and I like I, I, I like it too. But you know, I prefer Terence. <laughs> no, I got gotcha. you. Everyone has their own. Uh, I don't know things that they like more than the other. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I I am no scholar, unlike the person I'm uh-huh. talking with here. But the what I do know about Plus Two from doing some very quick research is that he is the person that we have the most plays from. Yeah. I think just because yeah. he wrote so many. There is more yeah, chance you know, of them back surviving. Then, back then, I'm oh, sorry, sorry if I'm overlapping. Back then, they used to write a lot. You know, Sondheim wrote like what uh, I would say, twenty musicals. Uh, yeah, roughly, something like that, nineteen or twenty, yeah. something like that. Yeah, back then they wrote a lot. I don't know how they do it. They did it. I don't know. But you know, we have lists of comedies and tragedies by so many different authors and. All of them wrote a lot of stuff, but 
we got so little and it's such a shame you know stuff got lost uh, got burned got uh buried in the desert of uh, of egypt and it's such a shame but yeah we got a lot from plotters because he was read so much and not all of that is his work you know he was so popular that uh people started writing stuff of his own of it of, of their own and saying you know this is this is by plotters even though it, mm. it wasn't true and because they wanted you know to get some money for, for the tickets right <laughs> from right, the tickets right. and so they they had to do it they they had to say they had to select basically what was from plotters and what wasn't i don't know if uh there's an author a grammatician it's called in the classic literature world called varro yeah he sat down and said, okay, let's read all of the stuff we got from Plotus, and I will decide what's his genuine uh, plays and what aren't. And we, we, we trust him. And so we, we got like 19 plays by Plotus, I guess, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Whereas for Terence, we got like six yeah, and just right. those. And it's, it's a shame for somebody who loves Terence so much. <laughs> yeah, we want to have more. Uh, yeah. I love this little, I don't know, uh, section on the Wikipedia page because it talks about how they found most of Plotus' plays was it was in this like big, I don't know, like manuscript pamphlet type thing. Yeah. But it was some ancient monk who we don't know the mm-hmm. name of <laughs> had taken it and it scrubbed away the writing to start to write out the... Uh, Augustine's commentary on the Psalms. So that's what it was yeah. written over top of it. <laughs> but this, yeah. is, this is a direct quote. He seems to have begun furiously scrubbing out Plotus's alphabetically arranged plays with zest before growing lazy, then finally regaining <laughs> his vigor at the end of the manuscript to ensure not a word of Plotus was legible. So basically we have a lot of like the middle of the alphabet for, uh, uh-huh. for Plotus and yeah, not because- a lot from the end or the beginning. Yeah, you know, that, that, there's this stuff that, uh, this thing that Plotus is a little bit dirty for the Catholic word. Yes. <laughs> so uh, we had manuscripts, they had manuscripts, but uh, they contained a lot of, you know, dirty words. Right. And monks, uh, being monks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Just monk things, didn't, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> didn't, didn't really appreciate uh, the, those dirty words because they did understand those words because they, you know, spoke Latin like, like, uh, like his native, like their native language. What I like about this is it shows like the history, right? Where back then, like paper and like literature was just not easy to produce at this point. This is mm-hmm. before the printing press and all this. So all this exactly. stuff is written by hand. Uh, so. Yeah, like if you want to write something new down, it's like, well, let's just wash this away and just write over top of yeah, it. Yeah, because you know, you know, it, I guess it's parchment, so mm-hmm. it's quite, quite expensive. Mm-hmm. You know, it was quite expensive back then, and so instead of uh, buying new pieces of parchments, they just used to scrub the old stuff and write the new ones on that. Right. But, and that's the magic that happens in the world of, you know, classic studies. Uh, the ink actually stains the parchment so much that with the right lamp, you can actually see what's what was there, and that's how we got plotters. I know. Some of plotters. It's really it's, just, it's really <laughs> cool to think about like science and technology helping out literature. Yeah. It's it's a 
it's a cool story. Uh, because that's how, how it's supposed to go. You know, we aren't so different with science and literature. That's right. We are very different, but we can help each other. <laughs> exactly. Now, of course, all of these Greek playwrights were centuries before Shakespeare. But I'm going to ask you a question that I, mm-hmm. people often ask about Shakespeare, which is why should we care and why should we still read or watch the performances from from these people? Well, that's that's a very tough question, because if you ask me, somebody who's actually interested in that world, somebody who is deeply fascinated with that world, I would say because it's just a beautiful, beautiful expression of the human nature. And, you know, Plotus, uh, I said, it's, it's a little bit crass. I don't really appreciate it, but I do realize that it's an interesting expression of how humans consider themselves and how humans consider others. And that's the basis for any literary study, a study on the human being. And that's that's like the thing we should care the most about because we are human beings and being able to understand each other in different ways and studying how humans understood each other back then is a very fascinating way of experiencing life, I guess. Is that a good answer? I like that answer (laughs) because I think you're right in that the greatest of our artists, the greatest of our writers should be able to, in some ways, transcend time where it's that human element that we're always so fascinated by and why I think that there's still jokes that happened, you know, 15, 16, 1700 years ago that can still resonate with us today and and you know uh i think you know this guy i'm quoting because it's he's quite famous back uh overseas uh italo calvino i I guess he's a little bit famous over there it's maybe in the united states italo calvino (laughs) i don't know if i know who that is oh right so he's an italian uh writer okay who um who died uh a couple of decades ago uh and he asked asked himself what makes a classic and that's like a, a very good question in terms of literary literary studies uh and he came to an answer which is i think the best answer one could give a classic is a work of art that still has something to say hmm. And that's like a very synthetic explanation, but very reasonable, I guess. I don't know if you agree with me. I actually do, because I think that... With him. (laughs) That can be interpreted a few different ways, but I I think you're right. It has to be something that still, I don't know, elicits elicits some sort of an emotion from the audience. I think for me being such a, a film buff... And mm-hmm. why I still really, really enjoy stuff like from Buster Keaton or Charlie Chaplin way back yeah, in the we, silent area. It's like, yes, these, these are 80, almost 90 years old at this point, but there's still something about them. There's still something so human about these people wanting what they want and, and failing. Exactly. We have good films made today, mm-hmm. but there, there are good films made back then, so why we should still watch them yeah. because they still have something to say. And that's very easy, quick, and poignant answer, I guess. <laughs> well, I did some math here for us. 
2,146 years after Plautus passed away is when mm-hmm. a funny thing happened on the way to the forum debuted on Broadway. So, uh, you know, a couple thousand years. I have this question then before we jump into the lyrics uh, and the overture first, which is, what is your relationship with this show? It's it's a tricky um sorry a tricky question because I don't remember how I got to know a funny thing happened and blah blah blah. Uh, I don't remember <laughs> because uh, you know we spoke about this uh, back then uh, when we did Gypsy. I got myself into Sondheim with uh, Sweeney Todd. Right. And then from from there, uh, everything just fall apart. And I was so uh, overwhelmed by him. <laughs> so it, during that period, I may have come across uh, this show. And I was fascinated by it because, you know, being such a classic nerd, I said, oh, cool. He was uh, a show about based on plotus let's let's hear it let's see what uh what this is all about and i fell in love with comedy tonight first mm-hmm. then i uh, i started appreciating uh the, the show the more i listened to it because you know it's it's the first song and it's the one you you, you remember for the whole show it's because, true because it's it it does what it does at its best and uh, the other songs are a little bit weaker, but I'm not saying this in a uh, in a bad way. Are just a little bit weak compared to Comedy Tonight, but they do their their job perfectly in the show, and that's yeah. something I guess we don't agree with each other about uh, because we talked a little bit earlier. <laughs> well. <laughs> No, I agree with you overall. I think Comedy Night is this high watermark that I don't think the rest of the show ever reaches, at least mm-hmm. musically. However, I will say this. Having now done some deep explorations of the show and the music and stuff, I think there are a couple of other really big standouts that I don't think get a lot of love from Sondheim fans, to be perfectly honest. But I think there's some actually really good stuff uh, in the middle of this show that I think yeah. deserves a little bit more credit. Uh, what yeah. I find fascinating here, though, like this is, of course, the, the the big thing is that this is the very first show that was produced on Broadway that was music and lyrics by Stephen Sondheim, where he wasn't just writing the lyrics. Yeah, and what a debut. <laughs> what a debut, right? I mean, you have Zero Mostel again, so he's writing again for kind of this like well-known mm-hmm. actor and performer. Uh, I just find it really interesting that it's this farce that he goes to for his first show where he gets to write everything himself because like our first show West Side Story is like melodrama. The second one we have is kind of like this drama with comedy beats in it, but a very big character study of Madame Rose. And now mm-hmm. we get into this show, which is like completely different again. It's like, it is farce it is low comedy. Like that is what this show is about. It's here to make the audience laugh. And that's really its only job that it's trying to do. Uh, so in many ways it's removing some of the things that makes Sondheim the best, which is that he is really good at writing for characters. And I just don't think any of the characters in the show, besides maybe Pseudolus, is really all that interesting to write a show about. But, you know, uh, that's something that's actually derived from the original mm-hmm. Plotus, because that's, that's something that occurred back then. Uh, what comedy focused 
on the most was the story. Mm-hmm. So uh, they weren't uh, character-driven stories. They had this fixed characters, like, for example, uh, you know, in uh, and it's something I really like about Funny Thing. Uh, I I will call it just forum because it's just some. Yeah, it's easier to say. <laughs> just say forum. Yeah, it's a, yeah. Let's let's just say forum. Um, that's something I really like about forum is that they kept like the uh, the names of the type of characters. Like we have Senex, and mm-hmm. Senex in Latin means old man. Just right. that it means just old man, and that's something that uh, I will say we <laughs> scholars uh, use to um, to study Plotus because we have all these characters in his comedies that fall under the char- the category of Senex because that's a category for the characters of Plotus because he basically wrote the same characters over and over and over, but what changed was the story. Right. And yeah, I mean, this is. This I think is, that's. Oh, sorry. No, I was just going to say, like, that is just the different styles that, that were in vogue at the time, where uh, back then, and you, like, for many centuries, in fact, I would say, like, people were focused on archetypes. Uh, it wasn't exactly. really until even the 1900s, you might be able to argue, like, late 1800s, where people cared about, like, character motivation. And, mm-hmm. like, what, what what's the character thinking? What is, what is his purpose here? I think film had a lot that, to do with that, but I mean, yeah, it's like that. It just doesn't wasn't something that people cared about back then. That's something that's uh, I would say strictly related to comedy, mm-hmm. because whereas tragedy is completely different. Ca- tragedies are character driven. Otherwise, we wouldn't have a tragedy. Right. And I think they, that that the fact that they kept this uh, original spirit, I would say, uh, of the Latin. Uh, source is just amazing. Actually, what it reminds me of, are you familiar with the, like, I guess, um, oh gosh, like comic book or graphic novel of Asterix? I am because it's quite popular. I know? would think so, but, yeah. Uh, I never really liked it. <laughs> no, that's fair. You don't have to, you don't have to like it. What, what I think is similar, though, is that they use, use like, uh, puns and stuff. For, mm-hmm. for the different names of their characters. Oh, yeah. And, and I think that this is kind of doing the same sort of thing. Like, you have Erroneous, right? I, the person that is Aronius, a, this yeah. befuddled old man. Even uh, though, even Sudolus is a, is a pun. It is a pun, yeah. Like, and, and it was actually a real character. There was, a, in exactly. Plotus's work, it was a slave yeah. named Sudolus. There's a play called Sudolus. Yeah. Uh, Lycus, right? For, for, like, the people who like women. Yeah. I mean, like, it, all of it is kind of uh, based off of puns for, for names. And, you know, I, I I haven't found this information anywhere, so I guess it's something from myself. And you have the honor, okay, <laughs> of <laughs> of uh, this revelation. The character Philia, you know, the yep. the lady who uh, is the love interest of Hero, is a beautiful pun because uh, it's written P H I L. I A, right? Yeah. And in Greek, philia means friendship and even love somehow. But in Latin, philia means daughter. Mm. So we we find out at the end of the play that philia is the daughter of Erroneus. That's but so good. We, 
yeah, we are supposed to think that philia is just a name, you know, a name for love, because philia, written P-H-I-L-I-A, is uh, love and friendship in ancient Greek. But if we write that very same word with an F instead of a P-H, it means daughter in Latin. And even in Italian, you know. <laughs> it's a great pine, sorry, pine, <laughs> a great pun by Bert Chevalot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, him and uh, Larry Gelbart are both known for their wittiness and stuff that they that they like to write. So I, I'm sure they knew exactly what they were doing. I hope they case. did, because they if they did it on purpose, it's great. But if they did it without knowing, it's even greater, I guess, because <laughs> it, it makes it even funnier. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's jump into the opening of the show here. This is one of the shows of Sondheim's that there is an overture. quick there's not a, like a lot to the overture itself but i i'm going to throw it to you first what uh what are some things that you notice or like about this overture you know i i like the fact that the score is so so different in uh i would say in style with the whole play because the music uh is so classic broadway mm -hmm. and the show is not <laughs> I like this distance because uh, you know that that's somehow how comedy works. It works in distance. I, th I think you're right. This is such a, a a classic opening to any of like yeah. those old Broadway shows. It's like here's like three or four songs that you're gonna hear later on in the show. In, in yeah. the overture, so it's you know the, the audience were familiar that's with right. the whole thing. Interestingly enough, I think though, like the obviously the most popular song from this show is "Comedy Tonight," and mm -hmm. it is not in the overture. <laughs> it's, it's it's a bunch I, of other songs that are in there. Yeah, I, I, and I really like that mm -hmm. because it's it's something that you know you guys the the overture you have, you get "Love I Hear." It's yeah. the one that sticks with you, and "Love I Hear" is a very sweet and uh, tender tune. And then you get Comedy Tonight, which is something completely different right. from the overture. You get a little bit of free, you know. Yeah, there's free. Know. And I, I think everybody yeah. ought to have a maid, I think, is also inside the overture as well. Yeah, but it, it's just so brief. You very know, brief. You yeah, get yeah. These, very, these very brief tunes that are very classic. And then you get Comedy Tonight, which is classic as well. But it's so... Uh, mm -hmm so slapstick comedy and different and oh, yeah. funny and it's, uh, yeah it's it's i guess it really does set, set up the show really well because you have this overture very classic broadway and then yeah. you're hit with comedy tonight it's like by the way you're not here for a classic broadway for, show you're here yeah, for exactly. this it's, it's, it's not even a classic comedy yeah it's something different
funny thing happening on the show. <laughs> That's right. I mean, I, and I think too, what what I have really appreciated here, re-listening to Comedy Night so many times over the last week, is that Comedy Night kind of serves as an overture as well, because there's actually allusions to. Uh, other songs in comedy tonight as well. There's yeah, especially little flourishes. In, the, in the 1996 one. Yeah, it's especially the 1996 version. Direct. Yeah. So I, I like that that they play with that a little bit, where this can actually serve as the overture as well, or a second overture almost. Yeah, you know, if if you cut the overture, the play works. Oh yeah, just fine. But if you cut and, comedy tonight, the play does not work. Yeah, exactly. If 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 the actor who plays the Hulus, because that's uh, you know Prologus, uh, the character in the show, that's going to play Pseudolus. Just walks on stage and goes, the "Play goes, I bid you welcome," and the whole thing starts. It works just perfect. Right. If you cut the overture, I think the show works even better. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you agree with me. <laughs> I think so too. I mean, uh, I'm one of those people. Uh, I know this is sacrilegious for lots of people. I actually think most shows could cut the overture <laughs> and just go straight into the show. Uh, well, Gypsy might be the yeah, only exception Gypsy's because I so really <laughs> love that overture a lot. It pumps you up really good. Uh, but yeah. pretty much anything else, I'm just like, yeah, whatever. Okay, let's just get into it. Uh, what do you think about Marilise? Uh Marilise is okay, I guess. Again, I, I, okay. I think you could just go straight okay. into the opening scene. Yeah. Yeah. Marilise is just, it's like the best one. <laughs> I'm going to have to re-listen to it. It's been a while since I've listened to that overture. Yeah, listen listen to it again, and then we'll have a, a good chat about okay. it, because it's just so beautiful. When um, old friends kicks in, it's just amazing. It's like when the trumpet goes berserk. Berserk in, in and gypsy? gypsy yeah, yeah. 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 It's, it's, you get the same feeling. <laughs> so, yeah, we have the overture, which does a serviceable job, but then we go into Comedy Tonight, which is famous, and this is giving feature Kyle some work here, but I, I, I'm assuming <laughs> that what I have done is kind of gone over the history of comedy tonight and how it was added to the show and why it was so important and some of the other attempts Sondheim been made to actually have an opening number to this to this show. Uh, but th- this is comedy tonight. What has always thrown me off here, or what did throw me off here this week when I was reading through the lyrics in the book, Finishing the Hat, is what you just referenced about how Prologus is this character, but it's Pseudolus who does this in any version of the show. Yeah. Th- it's not like a different another, character. That's another thing you, uh, they got from the original uh, source because the, in Plotus and Terence, you get uh, this character who walks on stage and starts uh, telling the audience what happened before uh, what they are about to see on stage. Right. And that yeah, character right. is called Prologus. In all manuscripts, you get this character called Prologus, and he never appears again on stage. Right. So <laughs> you're led to think that uh, it was one of the characters, sorry, one of the audience, sorry, one of the actors right. in the company that uh, did the job. And then the, the, the guy played another character later. Yeah, I, this is the cool thing about even this show, how it plays with that old Greek tradition, because there are these characters called the Proteans who yeah. basically play like random characters throughout the entire show. And this show is interesting if you've ever seen it staged because it, it, it when when he talks about like the three houses and this street mm-hmm. on Rome, like that is it. That is the entire set. It's three houses and it's the farce where they run back and forth between all the time. 
this is something they got from the original one because mm. the stage was fixed on uh, uh, on the same set through the whole show for, through the whole play. And a little an, another thing, the stage back in Rome always had three doors. Right. Okay. And yeah, that's yeah. something they got again from the from the original one. And that's that's why I love this show so much because it, it's just so. It's, it's such a beautiful homage to the classic source. Well, this is how the show starts. We have Sudalus start out by saying something familiar, something peculiar, something for everyone, a comedy tonight, something appealing, something appalling, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Something familiar, something peculiar, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Something appealing, something appalling, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Nothing. So I want to talk about the actual word usages here. So, because I like what we're doing here. Like, there's, of course, the rhymes that, that... Sondheim is using, but he's using uh, opposite words in very many cases, right? So something yeah. familiar, something peculiar. Those are two opposite things. Yeah, I, I think that this song in particular works if the actor works. Well, this is like the, the you do have to, and Nathan Lane does this actually, I think, incredibly well, because you can actually yeah. see some video of him actually performing this. Yeah. Uh, but he mugs very well. <laughs> he, he's really yeah. getting into it. You have to, like, overexpress yourself to sell exactly. these, these jokes that are going on. You have to change the, the style of your voice, the, the, the tone. And, and Because, you know, you, you just read these lyrics, mm-hmm. and sorry, they didn't deliver. <laughs> read how, by you. How dare you? That, that's yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, <laughs> but that's perfectly fine because that wasn't your intent. But if an actor who's a very good actor just sings this song, how they're supposed to be sung, they work fine. And that's you know, it's not a coincidence. I I think that every actor who uh, brought to the stage the character of Sudalus one Atonia word. That's right. It is. It's this that weird little fact <clears throat> that uh, yeah. on Broadway, at least, everyone who has played Sudless uh, or has originated Sudless in the original or any other revivals has won a Tony Award, which is interesting. Yeah, it's. I, I think it's no. It, it's no coincidence because Sudless is such a, a such an uh, how do you say over the top mm-hmm. character that you have to deliver it correctly. Otherwise, it does, it doesn't work. It's. It's like the sun around uh, which the whole show uh, revolves. If that character is not played by uh, a great actor, the whole show just doesn't work. And this song, and, and the show starts by showing you that, that the, character, the, the, the actor who will play Sudalus is a great actor. And I know that many people don't really like Nathan Lane, because they think it's somehow a little bit mediocre. I don't know if you agree with them, but I don't. Well, when, I when, you, when you say you don't like Nathan Lane in this role, or just overall don't like Nathan no, Lane? No, no. Some people just don't like him as an actor. Yeah. I don't agree. You know what? I think that what that derives from, honestly, is his film work. If you only know Nathan Lane yeah. from his, like, to be uh, fair to him, like, B-level comedies <laughs> that, mm-hmm. that he no, made no, in, like, fine. the 90s... 
But like, yeah, no, he's a he's a phenomenal actor. In fact, I saw yeah. him in the in the Angels of America production right. that happened mm-hmm. in London. They broadcasted into uh, movie theaters over here, and he actually did uh, win a Tony Award when it when it transferred to to Broadway. Phenomenal, right. phenomenal dramatic actor in that show. And talking about his comedic work, mm-hmm. what about the producers? I think well, I think he's great in the producers. Like he yeah, fits that role exactly. like so incredibly well. Yeah, Max Bialystok is Nathan Lane. Yeah, <laughs> no other actor could play like he did. Well, yeah, it's interesting that two two of his biggest roles were originated by Zero Mostel. But yes, <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh, I don't know. I may be like burnt alive by saying this. I think that uh, Nathan Lane is just so much better than him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I know uh, why they. I do like the production of the 1996 revival way more, for sure. Yeah, I don't know why they they, they let Zero Marcel sing. I don't know why they did that. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I get it. It's one of those things yeah. where they kind of, even if you could sort of sing back in those days, it's like, yeah, we'll do a Broadway show with you. It's fine. Yeah, why? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I, I I will say this. I actually am a fan of Zero Mostel, like as an as an, as actor, an actor and a comedian and stuff like that. But yeah, you're you're not going to put him against Nathan Lane and being like, oh yeah, he's a better singer. <laughs> just there's mm. no way. Let's let's just quit talking about that. All talking right. bad about that people. Yeah. Well, let's let, let's <laughs> let's move on here because I think this is when we are getting into them referencing a lot of like the Greek tradition and like this is what you're not going to get because it's nothing with kings, nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Tonight, nothing with kings, nothing with crowns. Bring on the lovers, liars, and clowns. Old situations, new complications, nothing portentous or polite. Tragedy tomorrow, comedy tonight. I do want to point something out here uh, on, on that lyric specifically. The original Broadway cast, like f- from the book, Finishing the Hat, this is where I'm reading all these lyrics from. The original Broadway cast is 100% exactly how the lyrics appear in this book. However, mm-hmm. weirdly enough, in the movie version, they don't say nothing with kings. They say nothing, nothing for kings, for king. yeah, nothing exactly. for crowns. So they kind of change the meaning there a little bit, I think. But anyways, that lyric, they're saying it doesn't have kings, doesn't have crowns. This is t- this is for like the the love or the the romanticism, the comedy. We're bringing clowns out on here. The traditional uh, idea of clowns. Yeah, exactly. And like kings and crowns are like the the overall subjects of tragedies. You know, uh, you know, tragedies always deal with kings. Yeah. This is not like, Oedipus. Exactly. This is not what this exactly. is. Exactly. Oedipus about. Rex. Rex means king. So yes. <laughs> it's uh, or like the Agamemnon. Again, Agamemnon right. is another king. So, and again, crowns, it's, it's, it's like the same thing. It's just a metaphor. That's right. That's <laughs> Bring right. on the lovers, liars, and clowns. That's what comedy is about. Lovers, liars, maybe, you know, lying lovers, even funnier, and clowns. <laughs> They continue on with the wordplay, old situations, new complications, nothing portentous or polite, tragedy tomorrow, comedy tonight. Old situations, new complications, nothing portentous or polite, tragedy tomorrow, comedy tonight. 
think we've been mentioning here a lot about what really makes a great Sondheim lyric is that it just flows really nicely. We're not just trying to cram in like big words or high language, but it just flows really well. And I think this is a Nothing great example of that, like, uh, like situations, complications, and then yeah. you'd be able to say portentous or polite. Uh, those P's like really hit really nicely in, in that lyric. Again, you said it, it just flows so beautifully, old situations, new complications. And that's, that's a fantastic, uh, those are fantastic lyrics because that's what's going to happen. You know, old situations. Yeah, we've seen like, we've seen in, these types of farces before, but yeah, and and like we got this from Plotus. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, it's like is... he's saying that we got this stuff from Plotus, but we are going to develop it in a new way, new complications. Even though you know they are homages, there are it's plenty of homages to the uh, you know to the plots of Plotus, mm-hmm. but they are developed in a new way, and it's just fantastic. Nothing portentous or polite because you know we deal with hookers and stuff. Uh, but uh, again, tragedy tomorrow, comedy tonight. Uh, I also like this is the part in the 1996 revival where like this very dramatic music starts to play and it sounds like people are being tortured and stuff like that. And Nathan Lane has to bust in. It's like no tragedy tomorrow, comedy tonight. And like oh right, and then they go back and yeah. see like. The song have you seen uh, have you seen a bootleg video of that i have yes <laughs> oh, it's just so funny i mean i don't i don't encourage people to record broadway neither shows do, neither do i but <laughs> i enjoy the fact that it's happened so that i can watch some of these older shows uh yeah, when i'm in italy and I, I i was like three when this uh, happened on broadway with nathan lane so thank you whoever recorded right. that this is where it starts to get weird because again not in the book Finishing the Hat, but in the revival, they add in a lyric right after this happens. So after mm-hmm. they do that, uh, Nathan Lane sings, something expensive, something offensive, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Passions and potions, constant commotions, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. And then they go back up and redo the Nothing with Kings, old situations, new complications, That that those lyrics again. But that does not happen in any of the other renditions that I have been able to track down. Something expensive, something offensive, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Passions and potions, constant commotions, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Nothing with kings, nothing with crowns, bring on the lovers, liars and clowns. Again, we, we were talking about this uh, before recording. Mm-hmm. Who do you think wrote that? <laughs> I would have to assume that Sondheim had something to do with this. Yeah, uh, I, I just... don't know for sure on, on that, but it just, I don't think they would just add in lyrics without him saying, okay, yes, go ahead. And, and, and you know, uh, it's, it's just so linked to the plot, something with potions, and mm-hmm. that's something that's going to happen in the plot. Uh, but I really like uh the one that goes something expensive because it's like a little bit of a um a trope the actors or the producers complaining about how everything is costly in in theater so something expensive and something offensive i really like how nathan lay delivers that Mm -hmm. something offensive like very again offensive in a way 
it's just so beautiful. I, I really like this song. I'm sorry. I, yeah, I know. I do. I do like the passions <laughs> and potions, constant commotions. I think. I think yeah. that's a really in- funny rhyme that they're that they're using in that case, and it fits with everything else that's been said so far. Uh, this is also the part of the song where like some of the Proteans come on stage. Uh, it depends on on the production. There can be yeah. a, a, like one of them, a few of them. It, it, it's happened in a bunch of different ways, but now it's a bit of a call and response between Pseudolus and and the Proteans themselves. It's in the libretto, so I guess it's yeah. uh, it's supposed to be done that way. You know, when they go a pretty Roman and a Roman numeral, and right, so right. many nuances and stuff. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I know. It's uh, a lot of this is yeah written right into, into the script itself. Um, yeah. I feel like everyone has their own like weird interpretation every time they put on uh, the show and, again. And I hope they do because this this show calls for that. <laughs> yeah, I think I think Comedy Tonight specifically, what's what can be cool about it is that you do you can have that different flair if it's ever revived again, right? Uh, what's what's comedic about it, yes, is the lyrics and the situations and like leaning into certain lyrics and mugging a little bit for the audience. Yeah. But you can you can take a I know a little bit of creative license with this and like bring in different elements just like they did like the tragedy tomorrow comedy tonight thing in the nathan lane yeah, version and there's a, a lyric later which i'm not going to spoil okay. that oh uh, i think i probably know what you mean but yes <laughs> uh there's there's a lyric later that if you deliver that correctly it's just like it's so it's good perfect and it um it, sorry and by the way that li- those lyrics are delivered you get the spirit of the song, exactly. um, how the, the the song wants to be played by the production. Um, <laughs> so let's not spoil it. <laughs> no spoilers uh, for this like 50 year old show. <laughs> yeah. uh, so something convulsive, something repulsive, something for everyone, a comedy tonight, something aesthetic, something frenetic, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Something convulsive, ah! something repulsive, yeah! something for everyone, a, a comedy, comedy tonight. Something aesthetic, something frenetic, something for everyone, a, a comedy, comedy tonight. Nothing. This is again another example of a lyric change because the part where they say something frenetic, uh, sorry, sorry, something aesthetic, something frenetic. In the revival, they don't do it that way. They say no. something frenetic uh, is changed to something balletic. Yeah, so uh, I don't know if that's a good sign mm-hmm. or a bad one, because uh, that means that would mean that these lyrics are a little bit interchangeable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a sad <laughs> Yeah, we don't want to wanna just throw things in there that <laughs> rhyme with each other. We do want to have a meaning behind them. I actually prefer the frenetic line in yeah. this case instead of a balletic because again those are kind of two different things frenetic is actually almost the opposite of balletic i would say balletic in my mind is like very graceful very uh deliberate motions whereas frenetic means it's, it's all over the place which is what this yeah, show exactly. is about especially the, the the second act it's just like crazy it's so dynamic so frenetic is just perfect it's just a perfect work that's right and something aesthetic works as well because you know, you get these beautiful women, the flesh of beautiful women, and that's what aesthetic means in the original sense. You know, in, in Greek, aesthetic, something beautiful to see. Yeah. So 
Simon is just so good. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's good. They repeat again, nothing with gods, nothing with fate. Weighty affairs will just have to wait. I really like this line. Weighty affairs will just have to wait. That's like <laughs> the spirit of comedy. That's you right. get to see this show and you just leave all the things that worry you behind and just have a good time. Weighty well, affairs. Yeah. Perfect. And it's also like another example of Sondheim loving like uh, words that sound the same but mean different things in the same <laughs> lyric. <laughs> Uh, yeah. you know, weighty affairs. We'll just have to wait. So two different words sound exactly and the same, are, spelled differently. At but the beginning, like, yeah. Oh, sorry. Sorry if I speak over to you. Sorry, if I overlap. No, no, so. no. <laughs> and they are like at the beginning and at the end of the same verse. Yeah, which is great. He's such a poet, even though he doesn't like to be called a poet. He is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just wanted to mention is that the movie removes a bunch of the lyrics. Like, they remove a bu- Well, they basically remove most of the songs from the movie as mm-hmm. well. But uh, specifically in this song, they've actually removed a bunch of stuff, which I think is almost is a detriment. It's a, it's a tip of the hat to how I feel about the movie, that they remove too mm-hmm. many things <laughs> to make it feel like it's a, it's a functional show. Uh, but I will say that this, in the movie version, is when we go into the speech about our principal characters, you know, and, and going through the, mm-hmm. the three different houses. It happens a little oh. bit later in the 1996 revival where that same yeah. thing goes. But just for the benefit of the audience, if you've never heard that speech before, uh, this is exactly what they say, or at least a rendition of it, which is, our principal characters live on this street in a less fashionable suburb of Rome in these three houses. First, the house of Aronius, a befuddled old man abroad now in search for his children stolen in infancy by pirates. Second, the house of Lycus, a buyer and seller of the flesh of beautiful women. That's for those of you who have absolutely no interest in pirates. And finally, the house of Senex, who lives here with his wife and son. Also in this house dwells Sudless, slave of his son. Sudless is probably my favorite character of the piece, a role of enormous variety and nuance, and played by an actor of such, well, let me put it to you this way, I play the part. So that's the little speech that he gives in, in the middle of it, which is not in the lyric sheet, which of course is, it would have been written by the, uh, the book writers, not by Sondheim yeah. himself. This, this very few lines how you deliver them is so important. And you know what's weird about the film version? Uh, thanks to you, I saw it a couple of days ago. Oh, yeah. Uh, and y- you said that Sondheim didn't really think that songs would work in the show. Right. And, uh, and that's, that's true, of course. Uh, that's something he said over and over. But I do believe that songs work in this show they don't work in the film <laughs> well yeah, yeah. i mean and, and man do i have a lot to say to that i'll probably save it for, for mostly for when i talk about the movie as a as a special episode you know there's a, a, a positive side to the film which i'm going to talk about uh after you do okay well <laughs> I, all i'm going to bring up is is this fact is that i think that they had the wrong director for this material there yeah. is a way I feel that you could film comedy tonight, and there's like some glimpses of I, I think some cool ideas that they could have used. Because in a film medium, you can yes use close ups and like zoom ins and pans and stuff like that to direct the audience's gaze, and that can actually cap off humor really really well. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, what they what they instead do in in this is that they do like these flash forwards to later in the movie. Yeah, they. Uh, which don't really feel like part of the song that's being sung right now. So it's weird. Like there's this, this really off-putting thing that's going on. Like uh, he's almost intentionally distancing me as a viewer away from what is being sung at that moment. And uh, it's too bad because the director who uh, whose name I'm now completely blanking on directed a really great movie called A Hard Day's Night with the Beatles. And it has that same style where it's like really quick cuts and snapping and like these comedy beats that are happening and it mm-hmm. works there. It absolutely does not work in this movie, though. Yeah, it, it's again, songs don't work in a film <laughs> because they they cut so much, and like you you start thinking, why are they singing? Right. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's there's this uh, suspension of disbelief when you go to to see a musical, and you don't ask yourself why are they singing because you know they are going to. Yes. But in the film, you, you just you start thinking, why are they doing this? You know what they it is, stay- too, I think? I think that there needed to be, because it is not in the movie. Zero More Still does not start that movie by saying, like, welcome, moviegoers, you're about to... Like, oh. There's not that invocation that happens in, in oh. the stage version, right? Where it's like, uh, we are here to honor the gods of tragedy and comedy, and today, yeah. luckily for you, we're here for a comedy. And then they <sighs> launch into comedy tonight. Like, that is the, like the little preamble. And I actually think you kind of need that little bit to make it pay off. So if they had filmed even that to be like, hey, by the way, we're about to see a farce moviegoers. Let's get into it. Boom. We're into the song. And you just don't get that. Yeah, you know, and that little bit of speech uh, before Comedy Tonight justifies the, the, the whole something familiar stuff. Because he says, we shall employ every device we know. Right. And what are those devices? something familiar something peculiar and again and again otherwise it's 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 just a weird song if you it's very weird you know something familiar <laughs> no, it's something true. Why, yeah. why are you telling you this <laughs> no it's true if the songs oh, sorry if, if if the film starts with something familiar the first line of the film is something familiar i, I told you that the film has a positive side mm-hmm. and that's the depiction of ancient rome right right because you know you have these big images of colossal films of the 60s with uh, like Ben Ur or stuff like that, uh, where you get this marble, marble city. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, it wasn't all marble in right. Rome. <laughs> the depiction of Rome is a little bit, you know, faithful to what the life, what, what, sorry, to what life was back then. You know, you had these big, crowded streets sorry small crowded streets uh with big buildings and uh very narrow streets as well and i don't imagine the show uh set in a narrow street like they do in the film but i imagine a little bit of a, a plaza <laughs> because yeah you know, that, that's that, that's the stage and that's the the, the uh, the staging for the 1996 revival, so I am a little bit influenced by that. Yeah, the the, but, the, the couple of performances I've actually seen of the show is usually played that way, which is a pretty wide gap between like the front of the stage to where the, actually the houses are, so it really yeah, happens yeah, out even, in the plaza area. Even though they say it all takes place on a street in Rome, not <laughs> yeah, the plaza uh, of Rome, in yeah. a plaza, so 
<laughs> so it's weird. Uh, so we continue on. Nothing that's formal, nothing that's normal. No recitations to recite. Open up the curtain, comedy tonight. Nothing that's formal, nothing that's normal. No recitations to recite. Uh, and the, yeah, this on the stage at least is when literally the curtain raises and then the company usually comes out at that point. I'm just going to continue on with the next two stanzas because something erratic, something dramatic, something for everyone, a comedy tonight, frenzy and frolic, strictly symbolic, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Something erratic, something dramatic, something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Frenzy and frolic, strictly symbolic. Something for everyone, a comedy tonight. Those two stanzas do not appear in the 1996 revival. <laughs> Something yeah. erratic, that stanza, and the one that says frenzy and frolic does not appear in the 1996 revival. Because, uh, you know, uh, that's that strictly symbolic that I don't think makes a lot of sense in the show. I don't know if you can uh make me think otherwise no actually now that you point that out because there is frenzy and frolic in, in the show yeah, so it's not a symbolic yeah yeah it's quite uh you know uh, quite a literature sorry literal not symbolic uh so i can see why they would want to remove that i mean sondheim did write this over a weekend so uh yeah. this entire sh- uh, and what a weekend number. it was i mean it must have been <laughs> probably drank and smoke a lot yeah uh, they had something for everyone <laughs> that's right uh so yeah i'm not i'm not disappointed that they removed that because i think that you're right i don't think that necessarily yeah. makes sense even that's something dramatic because they have been telling for the, for the past two minutes that it's a comedy so that dramatic doesn't work doesn't really work yeah do you agree? Uh, uh, no, I agree because yeah, this is uh, it's not. <laughs> I mean, there's drama in the sense that like complications happen. Yeah, but I know, it, but, but this is all played for laughs. There's no time in this where I'm like, I don't know, I'm about to cry or I'm I'm gonna have yeah, like exactly. that type of emotion to it. It's like it's all like uh, camp is the wrong word, but it's high high. Um, I don't know, like slapstick comedy basically is what's yeah, going yeah. on. It actually reminds me, there's another movie from the 60s called It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Uh, another movie that has a really long name. And it essentially had like every comedian from the 60s in it. Like There's so many of them inside of there. And uh, that's exactly what this, that movie feels like. It's three hours long of like just like slapstick and like crazy things happening. And they just stuff as many comedians as they possibly can into it. Yeah, I, I, I haven't seen the film, but uh, I don't think uh, I would like it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, three hours of slapstick comedy is just too too much. Yeah, it's I, a, at, it's at, a lot. at least we get an intermission in uh, forum. That's right. That, that is true. <laughs> uh, it's a it's a weird film too because again there is a moment where the three Stooges show up for, and I'm not even joking, three seconds, and that's the only part they're in the movie for. It's so bizarre. Mm-hmm. Anyways. A little bit of a Easter egg, you know, before Easter eggs were a thing. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, 
So everyone, the whole company is now on stage, and they're going back to some familiar lyrics, something familiar, something peculiar, something for everybody, comedy tonight. Uh, and this is, I think, the uh, the lyric that you were mentioning here before or alluding to before. Yeah, and 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 the the ones after the uh, sorry, and that, the that's coming up after, here. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> something that's gaudy, something that's body, something for everybody. Comedy tonight. Nathan Lane really leans into that lyric. For everybody, comedy tonight. Something that's body, something that's body. Something for everybody. Comedy tonight. Nothing that's grim. Nothing that's Greek. She plays Medea later this week. Yeah, and he does a, a wonderful job. I really like it. Yeah. I don't like Serena Stells. Well, but, you can actually and... lose the why it's written the way it is because even in the in the finishing the half book, like it is written so that it is every yeah. body, like it's not everybody, uh, like you normally would. It's actually written every b a w d y at the end, so it really wants you to rhyme body uh, with body again, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, you know, the actor must do uh, what Nathan Nathan Lane does. You know. It's again. It's comedy. It's it's fast. It's uh. It's not like uh. I would say. I don't know how you say it in English. If okay. there's a word for that, uh. But we uh we call it a uh, middle class drama. <laughs> I don't know if okay. you if you have that, uh. Or bourgeoisie drama. I don't know if you call it like that. I, I feel like this uh, is like the difference between like a high art, low art is what we normally talk about here in North America. Uh, no, because um, maybe I didn't express myself correctly. Uh, we have like two complete opposites. We have comedy, we have tragedy. Oh, right? I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's the, that middle ground that's like uh, oh, a, little gotcha. of, a little bit of both. It's like um, A Little Night Music is a middle class drama. No, okay, I got what, you. What, I got what, what you're What we saying. would call a middle class drama. Like uh, the theater of the ninth nineteenth century is middle class drama. Yeah, I don't think I don't it's the same we... thing. Tragic comedy might be the closest that we have in English Tragic to that. Com- okay. but, yeah. So it, it's not that it's supposed to be over the t- over yeah. the top. You know? So everybody, you have to really deliver it correctly and making people realize you're telling the, that joke because otherwise it doesn't work. Something that's gaudy. Something that's body, something for every body, I, I, because you know it's it's Broadway, so it's America. You would say body. Yeah, that's you right. Would, you, you wouldn't say body. That's right. Body. You would say body. So it doesn't it doesn't really work. I, I'm glad that Sondheim wrote body, every body. Yeah, you more, because, you want to hit that so that it actually rhymes. Yeah, you want to you want to hit that. It's just perfect. But my favorite one comes. Right after this one. Oh, this one. Oh, I was gonna say this was one of my favorite parts. Yeah. I think if you nail yeah, if you nail this lyric, then I think it's really funny. Um, so the whole company is like nothing that's grim, nothing that's Greek, and then Sulis goes, she plays Medea later this week, as he's pointing usually yeah. to like a young woman. <clears throat> yeah, it's just I really like this one. I really, really like it because again, it's the, the difference between Zero Mostel and Nathan Lane. Now I, I I may be a little bit mean towards Zero Mostel, and I'm sorry about that. But Nathan Lane just, I, I think, was born to play Sulevis. It's just so good. And with this one, with this uh, stanza, and 
the one before that, before this one. Yeah, he's able to he's able to nail those those bits of comedy so well. I think he's so adept, and I guess that's why it never really translated out onto movie screens all the time. Yeah. Uh, I think there's a couple of exceptions that I could point to, but by and large, he is good at playing to like a bunch of people in a theater. And when you bring that into like a close up or something, sometimes it doesn't work in a film medium. Uh, I just like the the lyric like she plays Medea later this week, mostly because again it's breaking down that fourth wall. We're breaking out yeah. of the fiction. It's like yeah, we we're all actors up here right now. We're putting on this show yeah, for and you, re- and she's going to be in the tragedy next week. Yeah, and I really like that. Nothing that's Greek. Yeah, <laughs> she plays Medea, which is a, a a Greek tragedy. Later this week, if you if you really want to see a tragedy, come next week. Mm-hmm. And you will see her on a stage playing Medea and killing their and killing her children. That's right. Like that. That's right. It's like super happy that show. Yeah. Uh, they continue on stunning surprises, cunning disguises, hundreds of actors out of sight, and then we go on this big run. Right. So pantaloons and tunics, courtesans and eunuchs, funerals and chases, baritones and basses, panderers, philanderers, cupidity timidity mistakes fakes rhymes mimes tumblers grumblers fumblers bumblers that's the big list that they go through there pantaloons and tunics partisans and eunuchs funerals and chases baritones and basses panderers philanderers cupidity timidity mistakes fakes rhymes mimes tumblers grumblers Can we talk about that? Hundreds of actors out of sight. I really like that one. Too. I like that too because it's like <laughs> we have a cast of hundreds. They don't at all. Yeah. They have three and actors playing like the majority of the different roles uh, exactly. to, to fill in, which is, I think is hilarious. And I, I think that's like Sondheim. It doesn't have any input from the the script because that's something that Sondheim would 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 write. Because I don't know if. Uh, you had the chance to talk about this uh, with uh, the other guests, but not many people discuss about how Sondheim is a great comedy writer. Mm-hmm. I really like his comedy because he's uh, he's very witty. You know, he has a dark sense of humor. I really like. Um, yeah, there's 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 moments of him that I just like I cry laughing sometimes. Uh, I think. <laughs> <clears throat> the the issue comes with this is that I think what he finds the most hilarious sometimes does not translate to a wider audience. We'll we'll get to that with yeah. anyone can whistle. But uh but there's lyrics that just kill me. There's this great moment in a little night music that Maybe always makes me laugh, same. literally makes me laugh yeah. every single time, where uh there's like uh he's talking about his like new wife, right? Come meet my wife. Yeah, it's the same one, yeah. I like <laughs> No, she'd strike you as unenlightened, and she's like, "No, I'd strike her first. <laughs> Which I always yeah. just think is such a funny lyric. She's monstrous. She's frightened. Unfeeling. Unversed. She'd strike you as unenlightened. No, I'd strike her first. Her reticence or apprehension. Yeah, uh, uh, even from the same song, another great joke, if we can call it a joke. Yeah. Is uh, let me just. Uh, she floats. What is she, a bird? Yeah, what is she, a bird? You know, yeah. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's it's not very witty, but it's so in character with Desiree. Yeah. It's something she would say, and Sondheim really nails that. 
yeah, I, I think that his sense of humor comes from, you know, the, the zeitgeist of the age. Because later in the 60s, we, uh, well, we, they <laughs> yeah. will get uh, Monty Python. Right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think that Sondheim really uh, owes something to Monty Python. I, he never said anything about them, unless I'm mistaken. Mm -hmm. But his humor, I think it's somehow related to, you know, that bunch of English silly people. Oh, yeah, they're just silly. And yeah. this, whole, this whole comedy, I think, has a lot to do with that around that same time. Uh, I, I do think that Monty Python, uh, I don't know, was trying to push even more buttons than what this show is trying yeah. to do. But yes, I think it's of a similar uh, similar ilk. Um, I think the, this big long list that they go through here at the end, though, is really interesting because I think every single thing that they mention does actually happen in the show, right? There's, yeah, there is exactly. pantaloons and tunics. There is courtesans. I guess, oh yeah, eunuchs because they work at Lycus. The, the eunuchs work at Lycus' uh, house. Yeah, yeah. There's funerals Hysario and chases. Is a eunuch. Is a yeah. eunuch, unless I'm mistaken. Um, this is the one thing that I do think that the movie and original Broadway cast does better. I, I like the line when baritones and basses is actually sung by someone who has mm. like a really deep bass voice. I think it just works really, really well. Panderers, philanderers, of course. Like the whole show is based on <laughs> being <Yeah>. philanderous <laughs> in your in your marriage. Cupidity, which is a older word that I don't think a lot of people use anymore, but it. You know, you it means that you're trying to, you know, possess something. You really want to excessively yeah. trying to go after something. And it's a Latin word, if you right. if you yeah, yeah. about that. Yeah, cupido, which uh, is the same word for love. Oh, that's right. That's correct. Yeah, and uh, Cupid, like the, the god Cupid is, exactly. is brought from yeah. that too. Uh, timidity, like being timid, that's basically what hero is. <laughs> Mistakes, <laughs> fakes, as people dress up as, as women in, later on in the show. Rhymes, of course, mimes, tumblers, grumblers, fumblers, and bumblers, which is basically yeah. talking about all the different uh, male characters of the show. Yeah, and I really like that Sondheim puts himself in, the, in, in this song, Rhymes. You know, Rhymes is talking about himself. We then go into like the, the home stretch here. And once again, talking about the 1996 revival, I really love the orchestration in this next piece specifically mm -hmm. because it says no royal curse. And there's like this flurry of trumpets that happens right after that. No yeah. Trojan Horus and a happy ending, of course. Goodness and badness, man in his madness. This time it all turns out all right. Tragedy tomorrow, comedy tonight. And then that's how the uh, the show, or not the show, but the, the song ends. The show ends the same way, but yeah, that's two true. hours later. <laughs> two hours later. But uh, yeah, so no royal curse. Again, this is not going into some of the tropes of the tragedies. Uh, we're not yeah. talking about the Trojan horse, which I th like that he throws that into there. 
Uh, yeah, even and, though we don't have any tragedies about the Trojan horse. That is, that is true. It's, he's, and it's a trivia, yeah. I guess he's throwing in Homer in there, I guess, a little bit, but it's still not a play. Yeah, yeah. They talk about it in tragedies because, you know, some, many, many times uh, tragedies are set after the Trojan War. Right. So the Trojan War happened. Sorry, the, the Trojan horse uh, stratagem happened. But we don't have any, any, any tragedy about the Trojan horse and uh, you know the, the sack of Troy and all of that. Well, I guess that that is your what you have to write now. Uh, well, <laughs> I'm not a good, a good tragic writer. Okay. I, I prefer writing comedy, by the way. Oh, interesting. That's, That's cool. It's hardest, but uh, it's the hardest thing you can write, but it's the most satisfying. And my friends love what I write. Nice. <laughs> so I'm happy about that. Well, I'll, I'll have to check it out someday when you put something on. Uh, well, to, 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 uh, sorry. Uh, I, I'm, I wrote a film, actually. I wrote a screenplay. Really? Yeah. What's it about? Uh, wrote, it's about, well, it's, it's complicated because it's about growing up. You know, I have gotcha. this little thing about growing up because, you know, Merrily is my favorite Sondheim show. Yeah, and yeah. It's all about growing up. There's even a song called "Growing Up" in the <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. in the in the new version, and it's about three kids uh, trying to grow up uh, uh, despite their parents, and, and they have to you know stick together to to do that. Cool. It, it worked out. <laughs> <laughs> it worked out. Here's here's my question then. Now that we've kind of gone through all the lyrics of this song, like I said, we we, we kind of know the backstory. Uh, do you feel, though, even though this song we both agree is good, is there mm-hmm. an element that we're like disappointed in the audience that we have to hold their hand and let them know, hey, everything's going to be all right? Because that's basically what this song is telling us. Hey, it's a comedy. Everything's going to turn out all right. No tragedy here, folks. And then go into the rest of the show. You know, I think this is one of the best opening numbers ever written by Sonheim and by uh, any musical theater composer. And I don't think that uh, people could not love this song. I don't know if you have you know, experienced that, but how can you not like this song? It's fun. <laughs> like you do, I think needing this, um, I think having seen it being performed a few different times, mm-hmm. it is a crowd pleaser. Like everyone is like yeah. involved in this song to such a degree because, that like, yeah. you can like actually, uh, actually sometimes talks about this, about how, uh, there was Oscar Hammerstein basically told him like, if you have a, a phenomenal opening number, you can have the actors yeah. read from the phone book for the next 30 minutes and people will <laughs> still be invested in what's going on. And they think that there is an element of truth to that. Like if you get that buy-in right away, then we can forgive you for a bit before any other action or comedy happens. Yeah. And, and I think that this song works just perfectly because it's very honest. You know, it, it's not a complicated song, you know, um, it's not like the prologue of Into the Woods. Right. That's a very, a very complicated song. Yeah. An 11-minute song about, like, setting the stage about where everyone is and who everyone is. Yeah, but it works, it works perfectly. You know, oh, yeah. it's, it's just, again, one of the best opening numbers by Sondheim. But, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a quite short song, this one, because, you know, the, the song part of this song is it's, it's very short, and you get accustomed to it once you get, you know, the... The whole trick of comedy tonight and something that something yeah. that but i think that what really works 
is the fact that the character who sings this song is not Sudalus. It's the actor who's going to play sorry, who's going to play Sudalus. Oh, I see what you're and, saying. So like you need to like drop the artifice of like the character yeah. and be like, I am Nathan Lane singing this or I'm exactly. Zero Stell you know, singing this. It, and then go into that character afterwards. Yeah, it's called Prologus. Yeah. But it's like Nathan Lane or Zero Mostel or whoever. And I think that I think that the fact that that character talks to the audience, involves them into the show and makes them part of the show. It's it's just what makes this song work, because otherwise it's just a list song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, a fantastic I, list song. But... It's a good list song. I will say that the the one last thing I'll say you just mentioned about length, how it's not very long. You're you're right in that because the movie version is about three minutes or just over yeah. three minutes. Uh, I find that the original Broadway cast recording goes slow. <laughs> like they've like slowed yeah, it down a bit. Slow. It's like it's something familiar. Like it goes slow. Uh, so like the right tempo I feel is the movie version has a quicker tempo. And uh, it's the same tempo that the the revival has too, so it yeah, feels it like it's moving along. Yeah, it has to be upbeat because otherwise, it just yeah, you know, it bores. Yeah, it's going to slow down. I'm going to throw this at you uh, on the spot, I, and I'll say right up front, I don't have a good answer to this, but I was I thought it was an interesting question to think of, which is, mm -hmm. can you think of a show that is good but has a bad opening number? You know, like uh, it's, it's like I wish that the opening number was better because the rest of the show is really good. Okay, uh, by Sonheim or by anyone? by anyone? I'm just talking about anyone. Ah, it's it's a tough question because I I really don't know. Well, I'm just checking my collection of DVDs. <laughs> I know, like it's it, that, that was the hard one for me is that I think that this somewhat proves the point. I'm sure there's an example out there. I'm okay, sure okay. there is. I, I think I have the answer. But okay, like you're okay. going to shoot me. Because... But but I, but I was just going to say before you before you reveal this is that okay. I think that that really means that by and large most shows or most well re revered shows have uh usually do have a good opening number because they understand the importance of it but yeah, yeah what, what, they... what's your what's your example okay it's not actually the show version okay but the movie version and it's the sound of music oh interesting okay, okay. I love, yeah. so uh let me explain you know that there's this big uh uh opening shot of the uh, yes. bells of austria and then you got julie andrews spinning swinging. and spinning <laughs> yeah uh, and the hills are alive. Whatever. I really that's like actually a good. Film. That's actually a good example, actually. Now that I think about it more, because I actually like the sound of music quite a bit. But yeah, that doesn't it's a, it's a really film. give you much information about what the show is going to be. Yeah, I, I it's, feel. It's, you know, it, it's just a woman who likes to a girl actually who likes to sing, uh, and she's telling you about it. Mm -hmm. Doesn't tell you anything. Well, you know the fact that. She likes to sing is very important to the to the whole story and uh, you know the, the palm trap family singers and whatever. But you know the film just um, I haven't seen the uh, the show put on stage. Yeah, and I know it's different from the film. It is, yeah. But the opening of the film, you know, it's just this uh, beautiful shots of uh, Austria and the Alps and whatever, and then you get this crazy lady. <laughs> <laughs> all by herself, singing to herself how she likes to sing. It's a little bit weird. The song is beautiful. Don't get me wrong, but mm, I don't really like it. <laughs> no, fair enough. Last thing I was going to say before we kind of wrap up here, 
is that if you're interested in kind of getting an understanding of what this song looked like in the 1996 revival is I'll link to this into the show notes, but this show actually coincided with the 50th anniversary of the Tony Awards. And Nathan Lane actually hosted that year. Oh, yeah, I knew that. And yeah. so the, the Tony Awards that year opened up really interesting. You have uh, Bernadette Peters and Liza Minnelli first coming out, and they sing this little song. And then they like, let's look at all the Tony winners from the past 50 years. And you have these big luminaries on the stage. And they're like, okay, now our host for this evening. And they sing comedy tonight. And it's a cool moment because they actually start over in a different theater, and then they walk outside while singing it, yeah. and they come into the I theater where the Tony that. Awards are happening. It's it's a cool moment. It's it's it it really nails why I love that moment where he says like no royal curse because as soon as they hear curse they like, throw open the doors and they, the the company walks into the Tony Awards uh, through the mm-hmm. audience and then up onto the stage. So it works I think really phenomenally well. Yeah, I thank you for reminding me of that because I think I've seen that video mm-hmm. and I really I, I remember really really liking it what was it like the the saint james theater yeah i was gonna say that it's like it's it's interesting like that year the tony awards was in the saint james which is where phantom is still i think playing uh and they they open up with a bit with the phantom talking to the the people in the audience no not any longer the tony awards now happen at radio city music hall (laughs) yeah so it's very close so it was very close like broadway and fifth um fifth avenue no seventh avenue like you, you just have to cross a that's street, right a road yeah they were across the there. across the road so yeah. forum was playing in one theater they cross over into the saint james and then brilliant brilliant <laughs> so frederico thank you so much for for joining me here today i think this was really thank good you. i like filling in the gaps of the uh ancient texts and the and the greek playwrights <laughs> and stuff like that uh since last time is it any different is there any way for people to follow you online if you wanted them to no, it's, I'm, I'm just the same boring person with only Instagram and Facebook and just that. All right, that's all right. Do you want to? You want, you want me to say the um, what's it? The username oh, or no. Instagram? Okay, I'll, I'll put that in the show notes too. That's, okay, that's not a big deal. Cool. Thank you once again. Thank you for having me again. I, I can't wait to be back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not lying. I probably could have talked longer with Federico because I found the history of Roman and Greek plays fascinating. Thank you to the Alberta Podcast Network, to ATB, and to Park Power this week. Next time, we're going to be talking about Love I Hear. I hum a lot too. If you have additional feedback, comments, questions, or a great guest idea, please send those to puttingittogetherpodcast at gmail.com. Also, a big thanks to the always great Chris Taniguchi, who designed the podcast artwork, and to Nick Driscoll for composing our theme music. For now, we've reached the end of our episode. Yes, I know. Goodbye for now. Uh, do you know much about Plautus? I know a lot about Plautus. Okay, so I <laughs> yeah, will because probably... I, you know, I, I'm a little bit of a nerd, so I studied this morning, okay. and <laughs> I I I opened my high school books and uh, re-wrote, reread what I studied back then. And okay, okay. Like I'm 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 like doing an exam an exam right now with you <laughs> <laughs> for you. <laughs>